the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you good with guns in church? And then we are joined by Bob Smetana to talk about the upcoming SBC convention. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, friends, happy Friday. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So good to have you with us today on a Friday afternoon. Aubrey, we made it to Friday. It's the weekend. Uh, Here we roll. We made it to Friday. Man, and man, do you know that like next, not this weekend, but next weekend, Father's Day? Yeah, Father's Day is like a... I don't know what it's like in your house. Minor league it, holiday. Doesn't it feel like that compared to Mother's Day? It feels like yeah, yeah it's like a triple A holiday, right? It and does. Most dads by then are just like, just let me watch. It always coincides right. with like the U.S. Right. Open golf tournament. Just let me watch the U.S. Open. That's so. all I want for Father's Day. All right. Yeah. I, I want to get into kind of a serious topic. But before Ooh. we do, can I tell on myself a little bit and yes, tell me if always. this happens in your house? Oh, I cannot wait to hear this. Okay. Go We've ahead. We've had this joke in our home that since early on in our marriage, Carrie will ask me to get something or to do like, can you get me? And I'll open up. Let's say it's in the fridge. I'll open up the fridge and I will genuinely not be able to find it. I like, can't find like it. Faking. No, this is, I, this is man looking my boys. And I'm trying I, to teach my boys about this. Go ahead. Go ahead. I genuinely look for it. Like no, I'm not like I'm faking it. And You're then she comes over and it like magically right there. appears You're a where liar. it wasn't before. So this morning, <laughs> uh, Carrie and I were both up and I was making myself some breakfast, a bunch of random stuff. And I was like, I want to have yogurt, like a small bowl of yogurt with granola on it. Yum. Delicious. And I'm like, hey, where's, do we have any granola? And she yells from the other room. She's like, yeah, it should be just in that drawer. And I look in the drawer. I'm like, it's not there. She's like, it might be downstairs in the pantry. <laughs> I go downstairs and I walk upstairs and I'm like, I'm just not going to have it. Uh, I'm sure it's somewhere and I just can't find it. But I don't know that we had, we we went about our day, right? I just didn't have any yogurt and granola. She just re, uh, earlier in the day sent me a picture laughing. Uh, the exact drawer she put had me look in, pointing to it. Aubrey, I had picked it up and moved it, not knowing it was granola. <laughs> I don't know what this is, but this is a very male phenomenon. Kevin does it. My boys do it. The mantra in our house is move things. Move things. Like I didn't even need to move anything. This was at the front. You actually move the girdle. No, I'm like, you guys, you have to like look behind. Shuffle things. It's a we I mean, we talk about this in my house all the time. All, All of the men around me 
do it. It's yeah. weird. Yep. Male, the think- male gaze is not what everybody thinks it is. It's like you just can't see what's right in front of you. People might think this is like reverse sexism or whatever. It's not. There's two people who do this in my house. It's me and my son. It's, like, it's weird. It's so – I don't – there is something about like the true. way you guys compartmentalize. I don't totally understand it, but it is bizarre to but me. But today might have been the worst. Literally, it's at the front it's right of the there. drawer. It's right like, there. She sent me a picture with her figure pointing at it and I was like oh that's granola I, I, I thought actually it wasn't that I didn't see it I literally thought it was something else but didn't read it clearly enough to go oh there's the granola I'm looking yeah. for so, wow thank hey, you for that that's a good story natural consequences I lost out on some good yogurt and granola yep. there you go yep that's good that's good but now oh. I know so there's many wives right now listening to this going amen, yes, amen. the struggle is real the struggle <laughs> is real uh, Aubrey, interesting article over at uh, Christianity Today. Let me just read you the headlines. Okay. Most most U.S. pastors used armed congregants as church security. Yeah. With shootings on the rise, more churches are dropping no firearms policies and turning to gun carriers in their flock. Let me give you some more info here. Most churches have some type of security measures in place during worship services. Pastors point to intentional plans and armed church members more than any other member, but measure. But listen to this. Compared to three years ago, fewer say they have plans and more say they have gun carrying congregants. Mm. So do you remember there was a wave of like, I don't know if you felt this about five years ago. It was like, you need to have a plan in the sense of like, you need oh, yeah. to say this person's carrying a gun. Yes. Even like identify them or. Yeah. yeah. I've told you many times, like we're in a small church in a warehouse. I'm not a gun guy. I was always yeah. like, eh, whatever. And that's probably right. dumb in the world we live in. Right. But now what what's fascinating about this article is it says in the last five years or so, Less pastors are saying that they have this organized plan and more of them just have people carrying guns. They're just like, relying hey, on the on the people who are gun carriers in their church. I, I don't again, I've always told you on the show, guns yeah. and gun carrying is one of my blind spots. I'm naive. I did not grow up around it. Mm-hmm. This shocked me. I would have thought there were more organized plans, but now it's more like, hey, as long as we've got some people with guns. We yeah. can take out the shooter yeah. as they come. Yeah. Two two things about this for mine. One, uh, a necessary conversation that makes me really sad. Yeah. Uh, this is like the first time your kids came home and said they had an active shooter uh, drill. Awful. I remember when that happened for the first time. So heartbreaking. When they had an active shooter drill. And I remember feeling deeply, I'm thankful for my school, kids' school, that they do that. Mm-hmm. And I'm heartbroken that they have to do that. Yeah, totally. Like, I remember that series. Yeah. Uh, so a, it's a sad. So I'm, I'm, I'm. It hurt. It grieves me that we have to have this conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but two, I don't know that armed carrying congregants is the best solution here. Yeah, I don't. So I, you know, I grew up in the south, <laughs> yes, and I've been on. <laughs> I've been on staff at another church where that was the plan, and everyone just knew it. Like so and so, they're the gun toters. They're willing to risk their life if a shooter comes in. I don't like it being on the lay person. Like no. it's a weird, it's also in my mind, a weird sort of like male energy. Like I'll be the one to defend the church. No, you're not a, like, if we're going to do it, let's bring professional security guards in. Like that's ultimately what I think. Like if you're going to have a plan, that needs to be the plan. It needs to be pro- police officers are there at your church or security guards are there at your space or like let professionals handle it. And, and, 
I, I appreciate, I guess, the quote bravery of folks who might do that, but I am not comfortable with putting that on the congregant. I'm just not. Mm. I'm also not comfortable with someone just toting a gun into our church. Um, And I have grown up around guns. Um, That said, I know what happens and it's probably good that I don't know who the people are. But yeah, I mean, I... That's I know that's a lot of churches policy is like maybe they don't announce it that right. Mr. Smith on row three has the gun, but pastor knows, elders know, a few key leaders know, here's our plan in case of an active shooter. Mr. Smith's going to stand up, pull the weapon out of his ankle holder <laughs> and holster, you know, and I, I just I don't know. Yeah, I, gotcha. I Again, it's I think that's too much pressure to put on a congregant. And and if you're going to have the, if you're going to yeah. have the security, have the professional security. That would be that's my opinion. This, I understand that's not everybody's. This will not surprise you in this study that Christianity Today, the research that they found, uh, 65 percent of Southern preach, uh, pastors said that they have armed congregants um, yeah. doing it. Uh for me, again, not a gun person. I remember one of my good friends at our church saying, hey, it's probably just better that you don't know. Because <laughs> I was like, yeah. when I said to him, yeah. do you think there's anybody here carrying a gun? And he looked at me like I was just crazy. Right, like, right. Like, obviously, right there. there are people. Yeah. Uh, two other really fast one stories for you around this. One, this guy is not at our church. He's long gone from our church. But he was one of the problem people in my church. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, like his behavior and this and that. And he came out, he wanted to meet with me once and ask if he should be the guy who carries the gun. I was like, nope, uh, that's nope. not going to happen. No, bro. You're uh, not the one who should be carrying and then the gun. Another guy, one time I'm out in the lobby during the service. And uh, this guy, great guy um, was walking through the lobby and nobody else was there. Like I happened to be out there. I just finished welcoming people, I think. And so people were in the, everyone else is in the sanctuary. Yeah. And also I, I look over and his gun had fallen onto no. the ground. No. And I just said, I better never see that again, man. Good <laughs> like, for you. Good but it for goes you. to like the, there's people oh. who just, and I yeah, know they you just could carry. put up your sticker, you could do right. this or that. Right. So part of this is just my naiveness, but yeah, this, this seems like a bad strategy. This yeah. just feels like the wild west. Like it totally. feels like a bad yep. strategy. Well, Coming up next, our old friend Bob Smetana is going to join us. Bob Smetana! Bob is about to head to New Orleans here in another week uh, to go to the SBC convention. And he's going to give us a little preview. <clears throat> the Rick Warren stuff, uh, maybe some uh, church abuse stuff. What else? What mm. is going to happen at the Southern Baptist Convention in New Orleans this week? We're going to talk to our friend Bob Smetana next year on The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. And Aubrey and I are thrilled to welcome back an old friend of the show, senior writer for the Religion News Service. His name is Bob Smetana. Bob, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How about you all? We're doing, doing good. Great. We're doing well. well, you get to go to New Orleans next week, which is not a vacation for you. You're heading down uh, to the Southern Baptist Convention meetings, the convention. Uh, and so... Uh, a, want to know, are you excited for this? But uh, am I right to say the whole Rick Warren hullabaloo, a saddleback disfellowship, it's going to take most of the oxygen from this week? Yes. Is that the big one? Yes, that's the big one. So tomorrow, uh, Tuesday, the meeting is on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. Tuesday afternoon is where all the big news is going to happen. So okay. if, if, if you re- if listeners don't know, uh, Rick Warren, who is uh, in Saddleback Church, were uh, – 
basically disfellowship from the Southern Baptist Convention this, this February because they have uh, several women pastors on staff, including one preaching pastor. Mm-hmm. So in the SBC in 2000 uh, amended their doctrine to say that the office of pastor is limited just to men. Um, but there, there had already been not very many, but, you know, maybe a couple hundred women pastors. And there are there are women who are not senior pastors, but are sort of staff pastors, children's mm-hmm. pastors. Uh, but Saddleback became a big issue uh, a couple of years ago when they ordained several women pastors. They were uh, – and because it's all very complicated, basically the only way for everyone in the convention to vote on it was for them to be kicked out and then they could appeal it. Uh, they were la- in fact, last year – it came up okay. last year. Warren came to the meeting and – the the committee was was basically saying, how are we using the word pastor? Because some people think it's a senior pastor, some people it's staff people, and there are there are staff members who have the title pastor who aren't right. preachers and senior right. leaders. Right. So it's a, it's a, it's it's where theory meets practice. So the, <laughs> yeah. the committee last year was like, we need to figure out what we mean by these words, and of course. You know, it sounds terrible. You don't know what the word pastor means. So right. <laughs> anyway, so that he, he Rick has been um, doing a bunch of videos on this. I, the more interesting story to me, and Saddleback is really interesting. I get a lot of the action. It's yeah. this church in Louisville called Fern Creek Baptist, which has had a woman senior pastor for for years, mm. long before, long before the um, uh, this doctrine was changed. And they're, they work, they support the mission group. They work very close with their convention. They've had a bunch of SBC leaders at the church. Mm-hmm. They have had this really great relationship with the SBC for years. Um, yeah. and now they've been, and the SBC, even though they had this doctrine, had never kicked a church out for having one pastor. Several states had, but this had never right. happened on the national level. So this is okay. all new. And so that church is like, we didn't change and they yeah. don't use, the, the other complicated thing, the SPC doesn't have a formal creed. They have this Baptist face and message, which is how they decide who can, they can cooperate with. But mm-hmm. there, there are several different versions, and different churches adopt different versions. So they use the older version, I think it's from 1984, which doesn't have to address the issue of women. Oh, uh, interesting. So there's really two things. There's really, you know, Rick Warren and the, who has, whose church now, even though Rick's not the pastor anymore, yeah. he's kind of representing them. Uh, yeah. But their church now has a uh, senior pastor and his wife is a preaching pastor. Yeah. That's that's one case. Then you have a couple other cases where you just have um, women who were kind of in lower uh, – either either women who are staff or women who've been preachers for a long time but very, very closely allied to the mm-hmm. conversation. So the, the key is that a couple of years ago they changed their statement of faith to say you, you have to be closely aligned with the statement of faith. The constitution was changed. Well, nobody knows what closely aligned means because there's other other rules like communion and other things that that are in the Baptist faith and message that people don't follow. Like they don't have you have to be a believer to get communion. You have to be a member. So Hmm. it's complicated. It's going to be going to be it's going to take up all the oxygen. Yes, it'll be a good time. Wow, it's going to be a really good time. So, and the second thing is there's a possible there's a move to amend the Constitution to say. There can be a church that has one pastor should be removed. So that's gotcha. uh, it's not clear if that'll come up for a vote. That's been proposed. Okay. Uh, actually, in the nineties, it was proposed, and the, the and the messengers. That's what the local church representatives are called. Mm-hmm. They were like, "No, we don't want to do that," because they had yeah. said that for people churches that have say gay members or other things. They had yeah. they added to the constitution, but women has not been 
there's not been a, a national move to do this before. Oh, gotcha. Okay. This oh, this is going to be so fascinating to, yeah, or it's, it or it's going to be heartbreaking. Probably both. And uh, Bob, what about the what about the abuse? Scandal. So that's the, that's the other big thing which is going to happen on there'll be a report from the abuse uh, committee a couple of things going on so last year uh, they the denomination um, because of a report on that there had been uh, abuse and and basically uh, attempts to uh, block any reforms to deal with abuse on a national level they passed a couple of reforms one of the big ones was to create this database called Ministry Check where people who have been abusive would be listed. So if you're a church, you can make sure you're the person you're hiring. is not abusive. And then there's a couple other things, including training for churches. Well, that database is supposed to be, uh, has been hard to set up. It took a long time to get them to approve it. And it's hard to set up because you want to make sure that everyone on that database is actually an abuser. So yeah. they had four criteria. One was someone who's been criminally convicted, a second one was someone who's confessed. A third one is someone who's had a judgment. The fourth one is something called credibly accused, which is what the Catholic Church uses. That means okay. that there's been an investigation, looked into this, but there's been no legal charges. But there's, uh, it's been determined by basically the preponderance of the evidence that the person was abusive. And that, okay. uh, so they, the complication there is one, you need someone to make sure that an investigation was done correctly yeah. before you add. So that's been, that category won't be added um, to the database, which is supposed to to um, uh, debut this at the at the meeting. The second part is the committee is going to ask for more time. They say, "Look, mm. this is very complicated. We're trying to get it right. Give us more. Give us another year to work on it." Mm. Okay. Uh, the two presidential candidates, um, which they also are going to elect this year, they look for one year terms. Um, there's two folks running for president. One of them says, look, we're going to get this done and follow what the the path we're on and dealing with the abuse. The other one wants to say, no, this is wrong. It's unbiblical. We want right. to go back. So, oh, wow. so it could be, there is a, there is a move to, because it's, it's going to cost them money, right? Yep. It's going to yeah. cost them money. And, um, their past actions has probably left them open to lawsuits. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Bob, this is probably a completely unfair question to ask with two minutes left in an interview, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Uh, Aubrey and I are non-denominational people, right? We watch this stuff from the sidelines. We kind of yeah. watch. We read you. We do mm -hmm. this and that. Is there coming a day, a decade down the road, you think, where the SBC splinters kind of goes very conservative one way, the Rick Warrens and them type go this way? Or do you think it will always be one fighting organization i might always be one fight i mean the, the, so if you're trying to describe this to outsiders there's one group who calls themselves the conservative back network baptist network yeah the but the sbc is basically a network of conservative baptists like they're all the same they're very <laughs> little difference on fundamental issues on their commitment to missions there's some policy differences i don't know if they'll split i don't know if the whole thing can hold together here's the thing about the sbc it is a billion dollar agent billion dollar organization mm -hmm. that's held together on a shoestring they have yeah. a very tiny national yeah. office they have trustees they don't have very many people watching the store so like mm -hmm. today i'm working on a story one of their big seminaries over 20 years ran up 140 million dollars in deficit spending they overspent mm -hmm. their budget their income by like 6.67 million dollars wow. every year for for 21 years wow. so this is like there's just not enough people yeah. keeping an eye on this. So for a long time, it's existed, you know, that it's 
it, it, it's an organization that pretends it doesn't exist. It pretends that it's right, just this big network, but it is this enormous institution that has very little oversight yeah. and, and whether that can, whether that can sustain itself or whether it'll tear it itself apart is the question. They, oh, and, fascinating. and they spend a ton of money educating pastors, yeah. tens of million dollars every year, and no money licensing or watching over pastors, right? They don't have a, you don't have to get a pastoral license. You can't get defrocked by anybody. So mm. it, it's, um, it's a, it's an organization that operates again with very little oversight built yeah. on trust and it doesn't have very much trust. And the folks who were supposed to be watching over things either didn't have enough time or they trusted too much. So yeah. that's the, yeah. the, whether it has, whether the whole thing just fall apart, not over these fights, but over its, um, with no center to hold it together. Right, right. Fascinating. Oh, it's fascinating. <laughs> Bob Smetana, again, senior writer for Religion News Service. Uh, follow him on Twitter. Check out his articles at Religion News Service, especially this week as he reports mm-hmm. from New Orleans. Uh, Bob, have a, have some good food down there, right? I'm going to yeah. have a good time. Have Eat a good beignets. time. And we look forward to reading all your articles, yeah. man. Thanks. Great, for great talk to you. Thanks, Bob. You too. you too. You're listening to The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. All right, Aubrey, I want to tell you a story that I think I got wrong in my head. It's it's asking this question. I want you to ask this question. Is this a church? Ooh, okay. okay. Is this a church? And it okay. simply has to do – well, let me tell you it. I got this because somebody that I know was telling me, hey, I went back and visited my old church. I think it was in the city or something or other. Yeah. And they were telling me the story about this church and, you know, the pastor recently had passed away. for He had been old. And this and that. And here's what got me, because it, I think it said something about the way I view church and not necessarily what. And I want to get into the conversation. What actually makes a church? Because hmm. he said to me. This church has seven people. Oh, wow. Like there are seven people left at this church. Yeah. And I don't know why. Help me understand why my I didn't say this to him. Yes. My first thought was this. That's not a church anymore. <gasps> was it really? Isn't that a weird response? Yeah, I think I think it is a weird response. And I Let's think that's talk. on me. Like, is they, it because you were thinking it's a dying church? I think so. I think yeah. that because I literally had to sit back and go, why was that my initial reaction? Like, clearly there's a number in my head. That makes it a church. Anything. It wasn't like they had stopped meeting. It wasn't like they had stopped, you know, taking communion or... Yeah. or t- it was literally because he told me there's seven people there. Wow. I'm trying to figure out where, because you and I talk about the value of the small church with not yep. everything needs to be big. Yep. I got to be honest. My first reaction was, and maybe all I was thinking was like, that's a dead church, but maybe it's not. Maybe it's seven of the most vibrant people there that's are. That's true. It could be. They're impacting their neighborhood for Jesus. And- yell at me. Tell me, tell me how wrong I am. And then I want to get into the bigger conversation of what, what are the definitions? What are the markers that make something a church? Yeah. Well, that's what I would. That's actually where I want to go. But first, like, yell at me. Tell me okay. how wrong and like, like just I'm, I'm a bad person. Yeah, you're a bad person and a bad pastor. No, I mean, <laughs> obviously, like a church is not about the the number and house churches are churches or dying churches are still churches. Right. Because what is a church? It's a body. Right. Mm. And so a body of believers gathering together. They've got a pastor, even though he passed away, like. I would I would call that a church as much as I would call Lydia's house church a church in mm. in the New Testament. Like 
that definitely you've got a little bit of your const your Constantine hat on, <laughs> you know, <laughs> rather than your New Testament church hat on. But I do think, like, if we look at the if we look at the creeds, what's church? One holy Catholic and apostolic. Yeah, that's the mark of a church. So one, like one in their faith in Christ, not divided, wholly set apart by Jesus because of their lordship, their their submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Catholic, not capital C Catholic, but Catholic in like global, connected right, historically, right, orthodox right. to the other church and apostolic, like moving forward with the mission of Jesus Christ. So if a church is that, then according to the creeds, that's a church. Yeah. I think you're right. I'm a bad person. (laughs) (laughs) You just had a moment. It was just a moment. It was just a moment. Would you have said, like in 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 like church evangelical non-denominational church category, would you have said that's a small group? That's not a church. I I don't even know. Um I I don't even know. I don't know why that was my first reaction. Yeah, let's unpack it. Micro is micro church a church. I had another friend who um, when they would travel, he said they went to this one church. It was like in a more country area. Mm-hmm. And like, I, if I remember right, he kind of described it as like, when I go, when his family shows up there, they are literally like the only non, they're like the, one of the only people not related to the pastor. Wow. Like it's an old country church. Yeah. And like everybody in there is related to each other. Yeah. Until they drop in. And, it's right. Like that's a church. Like there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. But there's part of me that's like, really? Well, like, and then you have to think globally, right? Like let's take yes. persecuted church in China, seven people gathering in Jesus's name. You're not going to not call that a church. I agree. I agree. In like, you, you know, you Central pulled the, Africa. You pulled the persecuted church on me? Really? <laughs> Central Africa, not persecuted, but like maybe Fair. more tribal. Seven people show up. They bring their kids on their backs. You're not going to not call that a church. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So I'm with you. I a micro martyrs, church is a church. And so is a mega church. And so but there a, are know. some things that people call church now that we would probably call into question. I right? think that is absolutely true. So a classic example in my mind is when I see somebody on some famous person on Instagram saying they went and took a walk at a park right. and they're like, and I went to church today. I'm like, no, that's not church. You're by yourself. You yep. might have been worshiping God. Like, Absolutely. But church by nature, by definition, is not a single person alone. That's not a church. That's a community. That's, yes. Yeah. It, it, it implies body, which means more than one person. I think, you know, two people doing it, we yep. could have some debate about that. But uh, certainly not you just with the trees is church. What are the markers for you that you would tell somebody that needs to be a part of it? Does a, does a pastor need a part of it? Does a... Uh, do they have to open up the word? Like, yeah. you know, if there's a group of Christians doing yoga together, can that right. be uh, that? Well, that's right. probably a bad example. I but, yeah. uh, you know, gr- any group of Christians gathering to do something. Right. Um, that's, right. I think I would. It's tricky, right? Because sometimes I think we replace church body for church service. You know what I mean? And, mm. and so that that makes it a little bit complicated. But I do think like I like thinking about the APEST gifting from Ephesians. If you've got an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a shepherd, and a teacher who are sort of leading people towards Jesus, I, I go, okay, I, I think that's worth thinking about that that might be a church. And yeah. And um, 
certainly there are some things like, yes, studying scripture, yes, worshiping God. I would add the sacraments in there, which not everybody yes. would, but I think I would. Baptism, the Lord's Supper, um, those for me are some marks of a church. Are they affirming of, are they affirming of the apostles creed? Like, um, but then outside of that, like I, it might be the church planting world that you and I sort of come from, but I am little less, I guess I'm a little more loosey goosey about what a church is, you know, Mm. like if, if it's a group of people under the Lordship of Jesus Christ living on mission, I'm willing to go. That's a church, yeah. You know, yeah. What yeah. about what I, about you? What what are some so of the marks for you? You touched on it. I I would also want to add in some conversation about the sacraments there, but mm-hmm. you know, communion and baptism mm-hmm. and being together. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, it's it's you know, open up God's word together, whatever that looks like. But yeah, I and I do think you make a good differentiation between the service, which is a main part of a church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But also the body, the, the the family. What are we on mission together? So I, I that's good for me. I, I did have to look at my own spirit when that person said. <laughs> that's good. That's honest. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it was a thriving church. <laughs> but I, I, think, I think that's a fair question. Is it thriving? Question mark. Question mark. Uh, Yes, but but yes, I'm a bad person. Did so, you say are they are they hiring pastors? Exactly. <laughs> Do they need anybody? What's the pay scale there? <laughs> Coming up next, Aubrey, I'm going to read two completely separate tweets to you. I would like you to respond to. Ooh, We're going to do fun. that next year on the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. So, Aubrey, we haven't played this game in a while where I just read to you random tweets that I saw <laughs> and uh, and you respond to it. Are you ready? I got two for you today. Oh, I'm so ready. Very excited. This first one, I've started following this guy. I don't know how to say his last name. H-O-K-E. So I'm going to go with Eric Hoke. I like it. Uh, he actually has started a business. Uh, this is not why I started following him. I have enough <laughs> jobs in my life. But he basically helps pastors find second jobs. Oh. So it's a, a bivocational type cool. of thing. Cool. He seems to be going through some things in his life also, Uh-oh. but he's out of New York. So he's not a pastor at the moment. Uh, seems to be going through some things. So he wrote this. Are you ready? Ready. I hear this often in evangelical churches and occasionally in other spaces. Oh, I should tell you, he's a bunch of little kids too, by the way. Okay. Uh, have a weekly date night with your spouse. No matter how busy you are, how many kids you have or what's going on, make it a priority. And here's what he says. Seems stupidly unrealistic for most people, including myself. Whoa, bro. So we've said this many (laughs) times on this show. Have a date night with your spouse. Have a date night. Yeah. He calls it stupidly unrealistic. Aubrey, you've got multiple jobs. How would you respond to him? I mean, I think he's flat wrong. Well, I I don't think it has to be weekly. So let's not get legalist about legally. I'm going to call it a regular date night with your spouse. You know what Kevin and I did when we had three little kids and no money and we're busy out of our minds? Our date night was sitting on our front porch together. Mm. Sometimes we could afford to get a gallon of ice cream and share it. Sometimes we could afford to get a glass of wine and each have it. Sometimes we couldn't. So we would yeah. just sit out there and talk. Sometimes we would uh, watch a movie on our computer screen while our kids played in the basement. Like... I I think it is actually stupidly unrealistic to just refuse to think creatively about a date night because you know what's going to happen? Your marriage is going to fall apart. You're going to pay for therapy. I yeah. don't think 
I don't think date nights are the solution to marriage problems. Nope. And I want people to to hear me say that because sometimes we slap date night on anything and that doesn't actually get to the root of really difficult marriage issues. Nope. I have said from the start, Kevin and I have been in marriage counseling. I am so pro marriage counseling. You get yourself to marriage counseling. Pastors will help you. Churches will help you if you can't afford to do it. That said, Pursuing your spouse and your friendship and your relationship and your romance with your spouse is a key to a fun, thriving, enjoyable marriage. Yeah. Doesn't have to be weekly. Kevin and I used to try to do it weekly. That doesn't always work now with busy sure. schedules. In some ways, it feels more difficult now because our kids are going everywhere. And yet we go, okay, Tuesday nights are date nights. So are we going to watch Ted Lasso together? Right. Maybe. Are we going to go to a movie together? Maybe. Are we going to sit on our back porch and chat? Maybe. Like, you can be creative. I know a couple. They're an amazing couple. They've been married for probably 40 years. They would literally go get a cup of coffee and go for a walk. And that was their date night once a week. And so like wow. to to make an excuse like it's incredibly unrealistic just because you're busy and have kids, I think is your own blind spot. You not pouring into your marriage. I think that I I also think the date night is sometimes we call it like you said, the solution, but sometimes it's more an indicator. That's it. Like there Karen you go. and I haven't been on a date in a month or two, mm -hmm. and we've made excuses for mm -hmm. this and that. A lot of times, it's more of an indicator of what's going on with yeah, us. Like, yeah, yeah. We're not making our each other a priority right now. Okay, so you know you don't have to condemn yourself for that. But then, yeah. like, okay, let, then let's go on a date. And you know what's fun? Date night. Date nights. Date fun. nights are fun. It's They're fun. fun. It's yeah. good. It reminds yeah. you why why you got married in the first yeah, place. Yeah, like, I really oh, I like this person. This right. is fun. Right. All right. One. I, I. I. When I saw that one, I knew you'd have thoughts. So. Yeah. Uh, very excited for that. That is weak sauce in my mind. This one's a little deeper, and it's our old friend Rich Viotis. Love this also guy. Also in New York City. Also in New York. He's in Queens. Uh, he wrote this. I don't have concrete data to back this up, but I think the quality of our conversation regarding polarizing issues would improve greatly if we simply asked this. When you say blank, what do you mean? Hmm. But then he says, but that requires a curiosity that is truly difficult for people stuck in our ways. Hmm. I think there's a lot of wisdom here. What do you think about what Rich Viotis had to say there? Yeah, I think there's so much wisdom to it. And I, I can remember some advice I got from a, a grad school professor one time. I was – this is kind of a wild story, but I will get back to Rich because it's connected. I was um, – recording the audiobook version of the louder song. And while I was there, there was a band in there, like in a different studio recording some music. And they asked, it was the first time I heard someone say, my pronouns are they. So that per, they asked to be called they instead of he or she. And I like did not know what to do. It was the first time I ever came across it. I wasn't sure what to do. And I remember going to my grad school professor and just asking about it. And she was like, what if you just approached that person with some curiosity and just said, hey, you know, that hasn't been my experience. That's new for me. Can you help me understand where that's coming from? And actually got to know that person's story or their story. And it was like, I know it sounds almost so basic that it sounds yeah. dumb, but I was like, my first instinct was to kind of put a wall up and be like, oh, I don't know if I should, this is, uh, I gotta, uh, I gotta fix yeah. it. I gotta, instead of like, oh, well, what if I just approached with a healthy curiosity? Like I think Jesus would have and been like, tell me your story. Tell me about you. Doesn't necessarily mean we're going to see eye to eye where we're different. Like Rich Viotis is talking about this. When you say blank, what do you mean? 
it, we're not all going to agree, but I think that curiosity helps bring the the dignity, the love, yeah. the mutuality that's so important in polarizing conversations. Yeah. A lot of listening's hard. A lot of times we don't like to listen. So yeah, uh, we, do you ever find yourself li- like forming your argument when someone else is still in the middle of talking? Oh, you, I mean, your response. speaking of marriage. Yeah, <laughs> there, you, there you go. And uh, what he's saying here is the opposite of that. Like you're asking mm-hmm. more questions. You're curious. Mm-hmm. Hey, when you say whatever. Unpack that for me. Tell me more about that. Why, yeah. Where are you coming from? Tell right. me your story. Why would you say that? When you, you know, when you say you believe this or you think this or you're voting for this or mm-hmm. whatever else, why? What do you yeah. mean? Unpack. That's a genuine curiosity. But he says it's a curiosity that's that we you can't be stuck in your ways to have it. It doesn't mean that you're asking the person change my mind. Right. It doesn't mean you're not going to come back to them and go, oh, let me tell you what I think. Mm-hmm. But he is right that so much of our conversation would change. The rhetoric would change if it wasn't just so heated all the time. And we we're making some assumptions about each other. And we were, I like this, man. This is. I think it's, I think it's really good. And I think it's healthy. I think it's holy. I think it does honor God and the other person, the image of God and the other person. And I, I'm struck by like what keeps us from doing that. Cause I think it could diffuse a lot of attention too. But what yeah. are we afraid? Like, oh, if I hear their answer, I'm going to be convinced. Or is it just that we get into fight or flight when we get into controversial topics? And so our adrenaline doesn't allow us to do that. Like, I wonder what kind of keeps us from having that just listening and conversation is really what he's saying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is listening 101. It's mm-hmm. reflecting back. It's, yep. but it's just not the world we live in. Yeah, it's, it's not, not the world right. we live in where it's like, hey, tell me more why you believe opposite of me. Yeah. No, and you know where it's me. hard to do that? Social media. Yes. I it's, thought you were going to say church. That's also no, one of the answers. No, I think, I think actually in real life is where you have those types of conversations. Agreed. With that, we'll be back again on Monday. We hope you have a great weekend. We'll be back, like I said, from 4 to 6 p.m. next Monday. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.